Real Goddess, Discovering Your Divine Destiny by Cherie Sandal, Episode 61, Attitude of Servitude. Real Goddess is the most important thing you can know about in your life. It's the end goal of all we become in this life. You treat differently what you want to last forever. A wise man said that in this current day and age, women will be seen as different and distinct in the happiest of ways. And I'm here to rope you in, sister. I have to issue a disclaimer first thing before I begin the podcast this week. This is the week following Christmas. So perhaps take it all with a grain of salt because there's been a lot of work that has happened and a lot of um, effort put in behalf of the happiness of my family. Also, please don't be offended by what I say here. I love my family and I love all of you. Well, I just finished reading a book. It was called A Noble Masquerade by Christy Ann Hunter. And this is a Regency romance novel. And I really get into these books because they're clean, they're interesting, they're good, but sometimes the storyline can get very similar and uh, I just hope for some new ideas. And this one did have a new idea. So what I liked about it is this girl starts to write letters to her college-age brother's friend. And this girl is like 13, 14 years old. Her name is Miranda. And she writes letters to this friend who is a duke, which is like really high up there, you know, not quite the highest of nobility, but he's got a lot of money and a lot of prestige and will one day make a very powerful man. Well, he already is, but he will one day once he gets married, finish that off, that power. And so Miranda wants to kind of write a journal type thing. And she never sends these letters to this duke. We'll call him Marsh because that's what his friend, who is Miranda's big brother, called him. And so the storyline gets interesting because this duke actually comes into her household, but she doesn't know who he is. But he's on a a secret errand to find someone who has leaked information that lives on her property. And so he has kind of become a spy in hiding for a little while while he works against the efforts of Napoleon and the French army because he's English. And so he comes in the guise of the valet of her older brother who has now graduated from college and living at home as the male head of the household. And so then he gets a hold of these letters that she doesn't realize is actually him. And he's, he mistakenly decides to pretend like he's sending them. And she's like, Oh, you idiot. How come you're sending these? They're not for you to send. Stop sending these letters. But the damage has been done. She has sent the letters of her truest, deepest feelings to this Duke who is really the valet in her house, who is actually really the Duke. (laughs) And so in the end, he finds out how much she has liked him as the valet and she can't figure out why she's liking the valet, the guy who helps her brother get dressed and all that kind of stuff for the day. Like he's in a servant role, not a Duke role. Well, you can kind of guess the ending, but I'm not going to spoil it in case you end up reading it. But as I read these kind of Regency romance novels, I hear talk about the butler who opens the door for the front house and comes and gets you or comes and notifies you that dinner is served. 
the valet who we just talked about, who is like a personal helper to the man. And I guess the maid is the personal helper to the female who helps her get dressed because she just can't do up the dress by herself. Right. I mean, does that kind of make you laugh just a little bit like, oh, what do we do when we can't get our dresses on by ourselves? Well, we figure out a way, right? There's the cook. There's the footman and the chauffeur, 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 the housekeeper. Now, when I think about it, these are English people, and that is where most of my family ties come from. So this was actually my relatives who had the butler, the valet, the cook, the maid, the footman and chauffeur and the housekeeper and more. And in my mind, I can't help but think as I went through cooking Christmas dinner and cleaning up all the dishes after having put on a wonderful Christmas event that morning, I can't help but think that my relatives gave it all up for freedom. They gave up all of the life of nobility for freedom, and then they became slaves. We became slaves. Let me explain. So we supposedly gained our freedom from moving away from England and winning the wars in the United States, which means that I have freedoms, which means because I have freedoms, I have given up on the, atti the attitude of servitude and slave work, and I have become the slave. Do you follow me here? I have given up my freedom by supposedly gaining freedom. All of those votes for women and all of the women trying to have what the men have and get better pay and jobs and all that kind of stuff actually makes us less free. The American dream of the middle income household becomes pure servitude. Those in the middle income household scrimp and save for what they're not able to hire someone else to do. So we've given up that life of being served so that we become the servant because of freedom. Well, I become my kid's slave in the hopes that they'll have a better life. While I get run ragged and have a worse life, I am the chauffeur, the cook, the maid, the nurse, all in the name of freedom. It's the new day dilemma, roles in the family, plus knowing when too much is too much. I read in a book, No More Mr. Nice Guy, that the men have traditionally gone to work and the women stay home and raise their boys to be soft. That's right. I myself told my kids, my boys, to put down the toy gun if they were going to pretend they're shooting at a person. And who knows, maybe it was just too much softness that I gave them. Well, their dad was at work, not showing them how to be a man, supposedly, according to this book, No More Mr. Nice Guy. The woman, quote, nurture, unless they're really not good at it, and then they pretend they are. So the men go to work while they may be better as Mrs. Doubtfire at home. The woman stays home, madly cooking and cleaning and trying to feel productive and nurturing, while those who are really good at cooking and cleaning go to the office. We are a lonely people now. 
Our self-sufficiency and freedom now makes us so that we are so dependent upon ourselves, so self-reliant, and think we need to figure out all the answers, that we are helplessly lonely and separated from other people who are all doing the same, taking care of theirs and their own. Some cultures have the grandparents doing the parenting while the children of the elderly go make their dreams come true. Some cultures have the whole village raising all of the kids, but we now see that as being too meddlesome by others. You can't tell me what to do in uh, how to raise my kid. I know that I was a mother of young children who, when someone offered to do something, like hold my kid or open a door or something, because of my high sense of responsibility, I would reject it as I am the caretaker of these children and it is my responsibility to take care of them. So in the end, it seems that we come to know all the answers about parenting after the fact, at which point, according to our culture, we can't direct or instruct those below us in the next generation of what to do, though we now know all the answers. It's unwelcome. The next generation are busy being the parent of their kids and they don't want your interference. And I have agreed with this, which means I've accepted the fallacy of not accepting help from other people who could make my life less servitude. I've missed out on the opportunities to have friendships and help in my responsibilities in house and home such that I remain the servant. We've become more so lonely people all because of our freedoms. I'm not saying I believe we should be slaves because I would hate to be the slave that I already feel that I sometimes am, but I do believe that some people are better at nurturing, cleaning, cooking, and some people are better at office work and thought work and bringing in the bacon, and maybe we really don't understand how we can make all that work out better and not hold so tight to gender roles. I've said it before, but it's often the men telling the masses that it never hurts to serve, when that's all that the woman's been doing continually without much return or reward. I remember reading in a magazine one time that the vice president of Frito-Lay, the company, like chips and so forth, she is a woman whose husband stays home with the kiddos and makes her dinner. I just blindly fell into the idea that the role of the woman is to stay home and wipe bums and do the dishes. And what if I am just tired of that? Can I have a career change? Who will then do the wiping of the bums and the dirty dishes? I do know that the lady nowadays is much more inclined to go out into the workforce, but the issue I have had is whether one would have been better at what the other one is doing. And when we just follow gender role culture, maybe it ends up worse. Fortunately, my husband now makes dinner on the weekends. After cooking seven days a week for 20 years plus, I was ready to share that responsibility. And how much easier is it for getting my cooking head on straight come Monday when I haven't actually had to put on a five-course Sunday meal the day before? And you might think, well, how come you don't ask your kids to do work? Well, I do. But like this past week at Christmas, I was thinking, oh, they're having such a good time. They're having so much fun. I'll just do this for them. I'll do their dishes day. I'll do their jobs. I'll clean up after them. And so they do have their jobs and their assignments. But then I start thinking that I want to make life better for them. And I make it worse for me. When I ask one of my teenage children to help me, their usual response, though maybe just flippant and insincere and maybe not knowing exactly how to react is, 
make me do everything, which is a little dissuading, no matter the intent or voice they deliver that with. Well, in the end, I make up for my servitude and selflessness by needing complete solitude to recover. Did slaves ever get to take a two-week break or a lone weekend getaway each month, which I seem to require? Okay, I don't get the two-week break, but I do every now and then insist on that lone weekend getaway, and that is what keeps me going. That when I'm taking care of my family, one thing after the next, I'll say, I've got this time coming up that it would be just mine, and I don't have to answer to anyone, and I can eat food when I want to, and I can not have to have any kind of correct response, and I don't have to be available to everyone. I will just be my own person. So I want to just switch gears just a titch, because I always think about this, and so now I'm just going to express it. It's about the women dress standards. Well, I read a book from a few decades ago called Saints by Orson Scott Card, who generally, I like his writing, but there's some of his books I'm like, eh, I, yeah, I'm not going to go there. Not going to read that one. Sometimes he just gets a little too on the other side of where I want to be reading about something. Controversial, I guess. There's a place in this book, Saints, where he talks about how women came to be wearing skirts. And that they wear skirts because the guys want them to. Wearing dresses and skirts actually puts us in a place of less power than the men, which the men insist on, and we become fashion slaves to the men. The men wear pants and suit coats, while the women wear short sleeves and skirts in the air conditioning enough for the guys to stay cool enough. I've always thought this is so weird. Why are all the men all dressed down in their suit coats and the women are just barely skimping by on their skirts where the cold is going to just keep making us cold? Well, here's a confession. I wear pants to church under my skirt because I can't not. I just get too cold. So even summer is the air conditioning that is too cold. Winter, well, it's just too cold because it's winter. So I do wear pants. And I've long ago given up on heels, pantyhose, and slips, though a previous generation considered such a woman a whore. If you think about it, men started out wearing skirts, and in some cultures still do, but transformed to the pants. While I can say that I'm even old enough to remember that my mom and my mother-in-law wore dresses to school. So we're not that far away from where the women were expected to wear dresses. And finally, someone got their head on straight and said, hey, can the females just wear pants too? It's much more functional and better for the weather, however the weather is, wind, cold, heat, you name it. So who tells the woman what she must wear? Well, the men do. I'm just kind of going off now on a few of my thoughts. I assumed when I got married, my husband would never see me without makeup. And so I would do the laborious chore of always making sure that I had makeup on. And this didn't last that long. I'd say maybe a half a year before I realized. It's just always, I can't always just get up and be up before he is so that he doesn't see me without makeup. It's just a little too hard. So then I continue to wear makeup. And the last few years, I've just thought, do I really have to put makeup on? And it just felt so time-consuming. I just didn't want to be spending my way putting my time putting on makeup. So I decided I was going to time myself and just see 
how long it took me to put on my makeup because it felt like it was about 20 minutes. So I timed myself and it was about two minutes that it took me to put on makeup. So then I was like, whoa, if this only takes me two minutes of my day and it makes me feel and look better because I am of a skin tone that I just need something more because otherwise I look washed out. So I decided if it takes me two minutes, I can do it. I think about men who are cross-dressers to the ladies' side. They must be crazy to want to take the effort to be both a man and the female. And then I think a straight guy would never dream of looking like a lady, but he likes to look at a lady and vice versa. The women like to look at the men, but they would never want to look like a man. Except for then I started thinking, they actually do. The women like the brawn and, brussle, the brawn and muscles of the men because it's societally more acceptable for a woman to look burly than for a man to look effeminate, for the most part. And women do really have a desire to want to take on the muscled look, when physiologically she can't really even look like a man. Um, okay, back to where I was talking about serving. These are just little side thoughts about how are, how are these things not so fair? How often have I been asked to do something without an answer that I would? that it is just assumed that I would. In other words, how often do we get dumped on? I can tell you that when I ask someone to do something, I make sure I get a yes or a no back. If it feels like their yes is really a no, I keep that information in my brain that they may not follow through because we have learned to be liars instead of letting others down. Okay, so how can I and we whoever might feel kind of like you've ever been a servant, change the servitude perspective. Well, I'll tell you what I have to work on in my mind to be not feeling so much like a slave. I need to have willingness to consider new information that maybe what I'm thinking is stale and old and is not serving me any longer. I need to have an understanding of where my rights are are actually reasonable to expect. Do I need to make up for my self-care in a weekend getaway or in a little time of just solitude so that I can recover? Or can I just say, I need to be in my room for two hours without any interruption, period. Which goes towards understanding boundaries in life and how to implement them to your best result. So I know that I could do boundaries way better, but I'm just a little too emotionally tired to have the grit to push them, especially at Christmas time. I've already been taking on the role of trying to spend how much money trying to just make everyone happy. It's almost ludicrous if you think about the role of Santa Claus that we all take on and try to make it look like it was effortless. And then there we go to the returns. Oh boy. Okay. Another point. I can accept letting go of control and letting others help if it's even just for my own mental stability. That control maybe is not the very best on my mental stability. So letting go of control will be the best. And just accepting that and realizing it. I also have to remember that kids and the, the others that I might have a tendency to overly serve will appreciate things more by their serving too. If I can turn it back to them and say, hey, can you help out here and let them know that they're going to also appreciate things more because they're helping out instead of just sitting there bored while I'm running myself ragged? Well, I can help them to realize how to not overdo it and lead to burnout like I tend to lead myself to. 
Also, I need to trust my God who puts life exactly as it's supposed to be from the people that he puts in my life to the situations that he allows me to experience all with my own agency, but knowing that it's all planned, I believe with him and I, and that I just need to trust this. This is the right next thing and go with it instead of being stuck in past patterns and habits. And then understanding that the term God means both members of the set of heavenly parents. That heavenly mother is not just expected to be a servant into the eternities. Have you ever thought about that? What is her role? Which brings us to the eventual goddess. So what about this goddess and servitude? How will that work for her? Well, I have to say, of course, I don't know answers because we're not there yet. But I like to put myself into that role of, okay, I've made it to goddesshood. Now what? How will this show up? How will this turn out? Which all of us have the potential for gods and goddesses. So how might this show up? The attitude of servitude. Well, others will serve her who have not made the final cut on earth. At least that's what I believe. You know, you hear about ministering angels and how wonderful that role is. But they're only ministering angels. So if she is the goddess, she will have people serving her. She will have the valet and the butler and the cook and the maid and the housekeeper and so forth. So how can she learn how to be someone who can be served on earth? So this is about give and take. Can she give and can she receive? And the answer, I believe, is yes. That her creation of her own making will be exactly hers, however she fabricates or brings it into existence. What she wants as a goddess is her baby, and it happens because she is omnipotent in her own right. I believe that the eventual goddess, her serving will feel like a pleasure, not a drain, not a slave. That the ultimate power of love will be the basis of all that is done, both in serving and receiving of goodness. I hope you'll join me in awakening one million potential goddesses to their divine destiny by sharing this podcast and information with others you think would benefit. And I hope that you can find that happy place between giving and receiving and know that life is about the goodness of receiving.